Well, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to 2 Thessalonians. Uh, tonight we'll be um, moving on to the second of the Thessalonian letters. Very short, three chapters. Very similar in many aspects to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, not surprisingly, uh, as it was written probably very closely to when uh, 1 Thessalonians was written. But again, 2 Thessalonians, if you have a Bible, I'd, I'd uh, invite you to turn there. If you'd like to use a pew Bible, uh, you'll find our passage this morning starting on page 1,259. 1,259. You see 2 Thessalonians. Again, this letter from the Apostle Paul, the same group we're going to see, similar situation going on, and tonight we're going to see really just the first four verses is what we're going to be looking at, but this thanksgiving, a greeting and thanksgiving, just like it says in the ESV uh, edited version, that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking in particular about what Paul gives thanks for, what he looks around, what he values and what, therefore, we can ascertain that God values, uh, something that God sees that he's thankful for, that he approves and is right and good. So again, Second Thessalonians, um, you're going to have to wait till next week, be here for when Pastor Matt is preaching, and as we get to what the Thessalonian letters are usually known for, the judgment at Christ's coming, and so forth, starting next week. So, Uh, But again, tonight we're just going to look at this beginning four verses. So give your attention to the reading of God's word as we look at these first four verses of 2 Thessalonians. Hear now God's word. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father And the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. As far as the reading of God's holy word, would he write its truths upon our hearts? Well, you know, I think you can tell a lot about a culture by what they praise, what they see as praiseworthy, something to be awarded and lauded and celebrated. And we just uh, finished this week as it's summertime, and uh, I don't ordinarily watch that much television, uh, but was watching a little bit of television this last week and uh, saw that the ESPY Awards were on. Some of you may not know what the ESPY Awards were when I was a little kid. That wasn't a thing, uh, but it has been for a while now. But the ESPY Awards are ESPN, the big um, sports network uh, on TV. It's their awards they give for best athletes and so forth, and started, I believe, in the late 90s sometime or something around that. But the SB Awards were on, and I turned it on for a minute or so, and what immediately I had to turn it off because it was so awful. But it has nothing to do with sports or anything like that anymore. So, But anyway, the SB Awards were on, and uh, 
somebody I did know something about was Arthur Ashe, and they have an Arthur Ashe Courage Award. And if you know Arthur Ashe, he played tennis. He was uh, sort of a trailblazer in the fact that he was a black man at a time when um, being black and playing tennis was not something that really happened much in the United States. So he was a trailblazer in that way. But he also is a man who had cancer, I believe. And uh, Arthur Ashe uh, died from his cancer. But after uh, Arthur Ashe was a, you know, a man who showed forth courage and other things, and I would say a man who in many ways should be uh, commended in, in several things in his life that he did. Uh, so they have this award at the ESPYs, this Arthur Ashe Courage Award that they give to somebody involved with sports and this great example of courage and something really that we can emulate, you know, show the kids again and everything. Now, some people thought that a man named Peyton Hillis uh, was going to possibly win the Courage Award this year. Peyton Hillis uh, was a running back in the National Football League. I know he was in the Cleveland Browns for a while, uh, but he's retired. And uh, this, I believe, is this last year that he was on vacation at Pensacola, so in the Florida Panhandle at the beach. And uh, a rip current took his uh, son and his niece. They're out playing in the water, and they got taken out, and they're in danger of dying. And he went out there, and he swam out there, and he got them, and he rescued them. And it's, you know, you can see videotape and all these other things of him doing it. <clears throat> but he actually almost died in doing so. He rescued both of them. He ended up having to be in the ICU for 10 days, uh, which I was in a massive car accident back when I was uh, in high school. And I was only in the ICU for, I think, 36 or 48 hours. So 10 days is a long time. I think he swallowed, or I'm, I'm sorry, not swallowed. I think he breathed in a whole lot of water. But anyways, he came very close to dying, doing a very heroic act to save his son and his niece uh, from drowning. So a lot of people thought, again, this man who is an NFL player, he'll get the, the Arthur Ashe Courage Award. Um, but no, that is not the way uh, that the ESPYs went this year. Uh, instead, the Arthur Ashe Courage Award went to the United States National Women's Soccer Team, uh, led by Megan Rapino and the rest of the crew. And uh, they went out there and uh, went on stage. And, and again, I... Uh, common question that was asked by a lot of people, including myself, when I kind of looked it up, was, now, what exactly did they do that uh, we're supposed to be <laughs> commending them about here? But I, I know they went to the World Cup and uh, got destroyed. But, um, but uh, it was the courage that they showed in apparently fighting for equality in women's sports. And uh, in the, they had three women from the team speak, and the third one talked about uh, this goes beyond them. It moves on to all areas of social justice, and it goes on to include uh, their transgender siblings, as she put it, and equal rights for them and for other people as well. Uh, just to let you know, in 2015, uh, the Arthur Ashe Courage Award went to the then newly christened Caitlyn Jenner uh, for uh, having apparently had the courage to transition from, uh, from Bruce Jenner to Caitlyn Jenner. But uh, again, if you watch it, uh, I, just to be honest, if this year watching it and that year watching it, how anybody could watch it and really think this is anything more than a complete show uh, to show how, how progressive and everything we are, uh, as opposed to uh, <clears throat> something that's really praiseworthy, um, I don't know how anybody could do this. But again, when we look at our culture 
and we see things like this. These are the people that we want to emulate. This is something praiseworthy and noteworthy and courageous as opposed to the man who goes out and uh, at almost the cost of his own life rescues his children. Unfortunately, that says a lot uh, about our culture, what we praise and what we see as, as praiseworthy. Well, tonight we're going to see, uh, just in this intro, what, what Paul praises uh, in what he sees in the Thessalonians. And it's uh, certainly nothing like what our culture, at least right now, is praising. Now, as we were turning here to Second Thessalonians just a minute ago, uh, I was mentioning a few things about this letter. This is our first uh, sermon in Second Thessalonians. We just... Uh, finished First Thessalonians. You can see the letter if you have your Bible open. It's short. It's only three chapters. Um, Matt will be coming, I believe, uh, quite soon to, I believe it's actually next week, uh, to uh, one of the passages that I'm, he's not going to be able to flee this time and stay in Charlotte and make me do it, which for some reason seems to happen in certain passages like this. But uh, it's pretty much uh, agreed with. Uh, This is one of the hardest passages in the Bible to understand in verses 5 through uh, 12 about the one who is restraining uh, and uh, who in the world Paul is talking about. Don't know, but uh, anyway, I'll let Matt deal with that. Uh, But 2 Thessalonians, um, if you flip over and look at at 1 Thessalonians, you'll see that it's written by the same people, the same group. It's written by Paul. But he mentions that Silas or Silvanus and Timothy are with him. So just from what's going on in the letter as well as who is with him, uh, this letter is almost certainly written very shortly after 1 Thessalonians was written. So again, Thessalonica, a a rough city in terms of its reception to people turning to Christ. Uh, The Jews ran Paul out of the city within three Sabbaths, so maybe a month at the most that he was there. And as we read in 1 Thessalonians, these uh, believers were persecuted by their countrymen, their fellow Gentiles uh, as well. So they're facing persecution. And as we look at 2 Thessalonians, even tonight, we're going to see that that persecution hadn't left. Um, they're continuing to be persecuted and persecuted specifically for the fact that they are Christians. Uh, they're believers. They, these would be, again, formerly pagans who are now, I mean, real pagans, these are people worshiping Zeus and so forth, who are now worshiping this, this what the, their adversaries would say, the supposed Jewish, you know, Messiah, whatever, and uh, they're being mocked and they're being uh, persecuted in different ways. And uh, they're continuing to press on and to grow, and that's something that, that Paul sees, is his spiritual growth, and it's something that he praises, is that they're continuing to press on. Um, Like I said, in this book, uh, what it's usually known for, really, after tonight, you get to a large section. uh, That is about the second coming. They still have some questions about it. So I don't know exactly what was going on, but uh, last, in 1 Thessalonians, we saw that they had some questions about uh, the resurrection from the dead and uh, what would happen to those who had died before Christ returns. And in 2 Thessalonians, they're going to start to talk about the second coming again and possibly... Uh, the question of whether or not they had potentially missed the second coming, and potentially the basic truth that we already confess together, that we believe in the resurrection, uh, that Jesus will come to, to, um, to judge the living and the dead, that we believe in, in the resurrection from the dead, and uh, the resurrection of the body, I'm sorry, 
that this is not just a spiritual resurrection, but that we will be physically raised from the dead. Uh, That will be talked about again. And then ultimately this letter will lastly look at uh, an issue in the church. And uh, this actually gives me, uh, even in this little introduction, but it gives me, and I think it should give us some encouragement, is that the Thessalonians are praised quite a bit. Uh, Charles Spurgeon goes really into this, that uh, the Bereans are praised for uh, the fact that they were more noble than the Thessalonians because they went and they read the scriptures. Of course, that's talking about the unbelieving Thessalonians. Uh, But that there was no uh, letter written to the Bereans, but we have two of them for the Thessalonians, and and Paul praises them uh, quite a bit. And that's true, he does. Paul is very pleased with the Thessalonians. But when we get to the third chapter of this book, we're going to see this is in no ways a perfect church. Uh, there are some serious issues going on at Thessalonica, and, and the big one in particular is that of idleness, uh, that of people not working. And we'll get there uh, in a couple weeks or months, but um, you know, it's probably tied to their view of the second coming and the idea, again, that Jesus could return at any second and uh, so possibly uh, the idea that if you're really spiritual, you stopped working, you're just kind of waiting for Jesus to return. Uh, and I agree with what some people have said. If that wasn't really the reason why people were doing it, it at the very least gives a really good excuse uh, to not work and be lazy is to say, well, I'm being more spiritual. So uh, Paul will deal with that in the last chapter. But even with that being a big deal, uh, well, he'll talk about the, the lazy people need to start starving, so they'll start eating, so they'll stop being idle. Uh, even with that being a pretty big uh, deal in the church, Paul is still thrilled about uh, how this church is doing. So again, uh, tonight we're going to be looking at a few of these things, and tonight in particular we're going to be looking at this thanksgiving, uh, that Paul is thankful for what he hears about the Thessalonians. So just to start the letter in, in, in verses 1 and 2, uh, you see this greeting. Uh, it's almost word for word the exact same as First Thessalonians, except that he puts in here, it says, if you see in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Or in First in Thessalonians, it says grace to you and peace from God the Father. Uh, possibly he's just trying to bring out the fact that God uh, is the Father of these, these uh, believers in Thessalonica. Uh, this small town in western Turkey I'm sorry, in Thessalonica is actually in Asia. I'm sorry, in Europe. So in eastern Macedonia, um, these, these former worshipers of idols are now children of God. And Paul might be bringing that out as he just adds that God is our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he gives his, his common, uh, ordinary greeting here in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't think these are just throwaway words. Uh, I almost uh, did, when I, I started to look at this passage, I originally was just going to start at verses 3 and 4, to say Paul says hello and move to verses 3 and 4. But I agree that uh, with, with some people I, I read on this and heard about this. I don't think that Paul is using, just let's get to the real heart of the, the, the letter, and this is just kind of a throwaway uh, greeting. Uh, for instance, just like in our day, how we have, dear such and such, or nowadays with email and everything else, and I don't really know how people do letters anymore. There's not as many formal letters as when I was in school, and we learned how to put the date and everything up there, and dear with comma and everything else, and uh, so forth. They had those same conventions, similar things, in Paul's day as well. The Greeks did. 
and the Jews did as well. So Paul actually is not straying that far from convention, uh, the way that you'd just generally write a letter back then, when he says, grace to you in peace. However, the word that would be used for grace in Greek, I'm sorry, is very similar to grace, where Paul puts grace. It really is just a word for greetings, but it's very similar to the word grace and how it's, it's written. And Paul changes it to grace instead of just greetings. Grace to you and peace. And Paul probably is bringing out these, these dual sort of ideas here uh, that are absolutely essential ingredients and, and, and foundational to the, the biblical and Christian life. And the first of those is grace. You know, the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. Uh, our religion, so to speak, is based upon the grace of God. It's unmerited. Um, that is probably the thing that distinguishes Christianity from every other quote-unquote religion in the world is that our religion, again, what we believe is based on grace. We do not merit salvation. Uh, we are believers or followers of a way, a, a person really, but uh, where we do not say, I did this, 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 and this. That's why ultimately God will reward me or why I'm right with God. But rather, uh, actually the opposite is true. I did this, 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 and this. That's why I, like the rest of us, are all in trouble with God and justly deserving of his condemnation. Uh, but because of his utter mercy alone, which in no way whatsoever does God need to be merciful to us, in no way whatsoever did he need to be merciful to Adam and Eve, yet God was gracious. And again, we need to always remember that God's grace is not him being unjust or unrighteous. It's not God seeing Adam and Eve be wicked and then just turning the other way, uh, just sweeping it under the rug and pretending like it never happened. Again, for God to be gracious to us, to forgive us, tied to the forgiveness of our sins, God also had to give somebody in our place to go and live and die that he can forgive us. Otherwise, God cannot forgive us. So, Paul brings up this idea of grace. And of course, this is, grace is in the Old Testament. Sometimes don't believe you hear that there's no grace of God in the Old Testament. Again, if there's no grace of God in the Old Testament, the second Adam and Eve died, they would have been condemned forevermore and not be clothed by God, have him seek them out, clothe them, and talk about the one in Genesis 3.15 who one day would come and crush the head of the serpent. So we have a gracious God that Paul wishes for the Thessalonians to remember. But then he also says peace from God our Father. And peace, again, you're driving up I-95, you see from 100 miles out south, you know how much closer you're getting to Dillon because south the border signs every mile, sometimes every half mile. And you see the big one that says shalom, S-H-A-L-O-M, shalom in the home. But shalom, uh, shalom, the great the great Hebrew word, uh, meaning peace. And when you read in the Gospels, and Paul here is saying, saying peace, and you read in the Gospels about Jesus coming and saying peace to you and everything, Jesus was saying shalom. Just like if you know any Arabic at all, sometimes people know like salam or as-salamu. It's a very similar language. Salam means peace also. But shalom is the idea of stillness. Again, you could actually think of water 
like a, a ocean instead of raging waves in a storm. It's of everything being glass-like peace, and it's everything outside, inside to you, first and foremost, as regards your relationship to God, but then with those around you, insofar as, as you are able on your own, to be at peace. So this idea of stillness and peace. And Paul says to those in Thessalonica, grace to you and shalom, peace, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he wants them, we're brothers, these things are ours, grace and peace from the Lord, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he moves from there into the thanksgiving, and I want to look just briefly tonight at what Paul uh, gives thanks for here in this scripture, in this book of the Bible, 2 Thessalonians. What is it that, that Paul gives thanks for? And if you look here in verse uh, 3 and 4, we're going to see first here in verse 3 uh, who Paul gives thanks to, and that's that he gives thanks to God. Uh, Paul thanks God uh, for what he hears about the Thessalonians. If you look there at verse 3, he says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. So again, Paul has heard that the Thessalonians, so we'll see in verse 4, that they're, they're persevering. Uh, they're being persecuted, and again, we see in verse 4 that these, these persecutions, um, and as you read the, the letters, you realize he's talking about the fact that they're, it's because of the fact, again, that they're, they're Christians, that they're believers, that they're facing these persecutions. But he thanks God when he sees them continuing to press on. And what that should teach us is that all spiritual growth uh, is ultimately... Uh, something that we can attribute to God himself. Um, When we look at ourselves, when we look at our family, our biological family, uh, we look at loved ones, friends, we look at our congregation, we look at corporately, us as a church here at First Presbyterian Church, if we see the congregation growing, um, you know, perhaps numerically, uh, but certainly, and a lot of times numerically and spiritually go together, Sometimes it goes the other way, but, uh, but when we see growth in the church, the church and, and particular people in the church growing, um, we should give thanks to God. That is something that we should be thankful for because, again, ultimately, the one that that is due to is God. So, you know, our guys at, at the school, our football players have been working out a lot, and I've brought this up before, but uh, they've been lifting weights uh, four or five days a week for almost the last year after school and in the summer, and they're really going hard at it. And some of them you're starting to see where there are these little 140-pound guys out there, and I was just thinking, you are going to get slaughtered. When <laughs> yeah, that's tiny on the football field for varsity, and uh, that's kind of small even for freshmen. But you get out there and you go out against guys that are you know, similar to you, but they've been working out for years, and now they're 70, 80 pounds bigger than you. You know, there's the law of physics, and you run into each other, just you're going to get crushed eventually. But they've been working hard, and, and you'll see them all walking around with their gallon jugs of water during school and doing all this. And you're really starting to notice some of the guys are actually getting bigger. Uh, they're, they're starting to look more like football players. And uh, it's not wrong when you see somebody out there going day after day, working hard and doing all this to... to Notice what they're doing and tell them the same thing. I you know, just want to commend you in what you're doing and say this, it's really good work that you're doing. And it's showing, and, and Lord willing, it will pay off. Uh, 
But uh, at, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I'm sorry, in the same way, if we see somebody and they're really pressing on in the faith and they're, they're reading their Bible and they're not giving up, uh, they're continuing to seek to be pleasing to God in all ways in their life, it's, it's not wrong uh, to encourage somebody and let them know that, that you notice that. And, uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, all, all praise goes to the Lord, for he is the one from whom everything, uh, most certainly including spiritual growth, uh, comes. Uh, we see, secondly, that Paul, his thanksgiving is for the brothers. And again, the ESV will be very quick to do this. I don't think anybody feels excluded. I hope not. But uh, that includes, that's just how we spoke back then. That includes uh, everybody. It's, ESV will be very quick to say brothers and sisters. Uh, the word, uh, actually, it says Adelphoi can refer, refer to both. It refers to the males, but it's referring to everybody. But anyway, Paul is speaking to his brothers. Again, uh, just our question, and kind of what I brought up, or my question for us is, how often do we look for these things, like spiritual growth? Um, Becky and I were, and James were just up in Charlotte about a month ago, and when we were up there, it was almost every single person we saw, we went to our, our old church in Charlotte, Sovereign Grace, uh, which Matt was going to go to, he said tonight, if he got there early enough. Uh, but um, we went there, and almost every person, when they saw James, was just taken aback by how much he's grown over the last three years or so since we've been here. And, uh, you know, and he, he has. He's, he's gotten real big. Becky, my father-in-law six 6'6", six, so we're hoping he's going to be real big. Uh, and it is noticeable. Uh, but something that we should notice as well and certainly give thanks for is when we notice spiritual growth in others. You know, I remember, remember Sinclair Ferguson uh, talking about one time uh, he was talking about a man that he knew, and he was, re, he was uh, speaking about the fact that this man he had not seen in a while, and he was remark, making remarks about just how much this man had grown in his likeness to Jesus. He was just saying he's, he's grown remarkably in his maturity and his faith in the Lord. And again, that's something that we also should be looking for. I can say, unless I am just being completely fooled, which is definitely possible, but I believe that I've seen people, even uh, in my time at DCS, some of the students, it's been my fourth year teaching there, just in the a few years that I've seen, mature as, um, as I think, as believers. Uh, and again, I, I've taught the middle school kids, so it's sort of at the low point in their life there. And then as I see them as the years go by, that was supposed to be funny, but see, no smiles. Okay, there we go. But it's seventh grade is a rough time. But you see them a couple years later, and they seem to be growing out of that. And, but really seeing some kids who seem to be sort of settling in more to a, more maturity, and I think a set more of a, a faith in the Lord. And again, that's something that we should be, uh, we should be thankful for and uh, turn to the Lord and be faithful for. And also, I want you to notice what Paul says about his giving of thanks, and that is that he says it is Right. And verse 3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. In fact, if you look back to the beginning there of verse 3, it says uh, that we ought to give thanks to you, ought always to give thanks to God for you. Um, It's actually a very strong uh, word. In Spanish, the word for ought or should is the same 
word. It can also mean must, though. That's why I think it's actually a better word, deber. Uh, but uh, in Greek, it's the same thing. And he's actually using, he's saying, really, he's literally, it'd be, we're under obligation uh, to God, really, but to give thanks for you. So it's not just like, we should give thanks to you. That's not what he's saying, like we ought to. Uh, no, he's saying, uh, this is what we need to do, is give thanks. And why is that? Because it's the right thing to do. Because the way that they have stood up under trial, the way that they are pressing on, is the right thing to do. Uh, the way that football player ran out and went in the water and rescued his son and his niece uh, is a praiseworthy thing and, and almost died himself a father giving himself for his family, that's something that from us should draw out uh, congratulations, should, should draw out admiration and praise because it's something that's right. And Paul is saying that his praise for the Thessalonians is right. It's the right thing to do um, before God. You know, we have in the book of Revelation uh, the opposite of that. Uh, we have when the wicked ultimately and uh, the false prophet, and the beast, and so forth, but when they're cast in to the lake of fire, uh, we actually see the people in glory rejoice uh, that those who continue to reject the gospel, reject the gospel, persecute God's people, reject God, go against him, and all that, and when they get thrown into the lake of fire, in heaven there is rejoicing, and you may know it's that they are singing, basically, and they say, they deserve it. Um, God is utterly just in everything he does. And again, as we look at these letters of the Thessalonians, so much of it has to do with the ultimate judgment that will happen. Something that we all need to remember, whether we're believers or when we're thinking about the wicked, uh, is that God is utterly just in everything he does. And again, as a just, that just and right are the same word, um, meaning everything he does is correct. It should be that way. Um, again, praising somebody for something praiseworthy in them, like continuing in the faith, is right. It is right to give praise for that. And I want us to look at why Paul gives thanks. If you look at verse uh, 3, the end of verse 3, there's two main reasons why Paul gives thanks. Something going on with them that he gives thanks for. And the first one is that their faith is growing abundantly, so their faith is growing, and the second one is that their love is increasing. So their faith is growing abundantly, and their love is increasing. So this growing abundantly and their faith increasing, both of these uh, are agricultural terms, and um, they both come, the, it's a little foggy about where exactly the, the, what exactly it's referring to, but everybody agrees that they both have to do with agriculture and the idea of just an overabundance of agriculture. And I know that corn harvest season is not going to be here for about another month or so, somewhere around there, but the idea is of a, of a bumper crop. I love at night I can actually look at particular farmers uh, and uh, but, uh, and get the, the nod if I'm correct or whatever. The idea here is that you drive by a field and it's just, it's just absolutely full of the crop. It is overflowing. Uh, this growth is, is unreal. And again, the idea of a, of a bumper crop, 
of just more growth than, than you could have ever uh, guessed for. And that's what he sees in the Thessalonians, is this, this growth, this abundant growth in them, in both their love and in their perseverance and their faith. Now, that leads us uh, to the question, what did that look like? Uh, what exactly was it that he saw, or again, what with Paul, what he heard about that made him realize they were growing in the faith? And I brought this up, I, I preached a very similar passage in 1 Thessalonians, at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians, but I'm going to, uh, a lot of this is the same thing. One thing we don't hear about with Paul, uh, him praising God for, when he's praising them for their growth, and he's praising God, really, for their growth, and for, um, for them continuing to uh, love one another, we don't see anything miraculous. We don't hear about them casting devils out of people, we don't hear about them uh, healing the sick. We don't hear about them, uh, in particular here, but speaking in tongues or prophesying or working miracles or doing anything like that. Uh, what we do hear about is that they're continuing to press on. If you look at verse 4, uh, it seems that this is tied to verse 3, what it is that he's heard that they're doing. He says, therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for, and then I think he's just paralleling what he said earlier, this growth in, uh, <clears throat> in their faith and love. Here he says, he parallels that with saying, for their steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. So he hears, again, they're being persecuted, they're being mocked, they're being made fun of, they're probably losing their jobs. Potentially they could be in situations where that could turn into physical persecution, uh, potentially even death. Uh, being put to death in the Roman Empire uh, was not common early on in the first century unless you were in Rome itself with Nero and those sort of spotty here and there. But it did happen at times where people actually were put to death. And uh, however, what is going on, we don't know exactly, but they are being persecuted, they're pressing on, and again, that is what Paul is praising God for, is that they're persevering, they're pressing on. You know, Leon Morris is one of my favorite theologians. He went to be with the Lord about a decade ago. He was an Australian, Anglican, very, very evangelical. Uh, but he said this about perseverance. He said, perseverance is an active, courageous quality rather than a passive resignation. So again, it's active. Perseverance isn't just saying, I'm just whatever, and just, but I'm not going to let go, but I'm just sort of going to get pulled in, uh, you know, be dragged into the kingdom. It's, it's seeking to still be fervent, seeking to still be energetic and active. It's not this resignation where you just give up and uh, kind of resign to your, your fate. It's pressing on, and again, that's what the Thessalonians are doing. They're pressing on uh, in what they're facing. They're continuing to press on, and again, Paul gives thanks for that. Now, for most of us here, uh, again, I feel like I've preached this exact thing several times already uh, recently, but it's just, I pray it's because it's coming from this, the passages that we're going through, and the Bible just talks about this a lot. Um, but again, most of us are not being persecuted in the way that people, for instance, in Nigeria, North Korea, China, other places, I don't think any of us are being persecuted in that kind of way. Not saying that could never happen, but we're not right now. 
so all the more should we here in the United States of America, in the Bible Belt of America, not just kind of resign and, and kick up our feet and say, well, we have it easy. No, we should be pressing on and we should be remembering those uh, of our brothers and sisters worldwide. Again, we are not the only Christians in the world. Uh, we should remember our brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted in these ways right now. Again, uh, Dr. Brown gave me uh, uh, or sent a, a link to an article by the Wall Street Journal, uh, I don't know, a year or two ago about um, the persecution in Nigeria. But I was just amazed because it actually made it to the headlines, at least in one, uh, you know, in the Wall Street Journal about this persecution of Christians. Uh, but nothing has changed. Uh, you still have weekends constantly where you have up to 50 people sometimes who are murdered uh, for the fact that they're Christians in Nigeria. Uh, you still have huge swaths of people in communist China who, when they start to get a little too serious about this whole Christianity thing and not the, the state-run Christian churches where you're a Christian but your ultimate allegiance is to whatever the CCP says, um, or, of course, North Korea where it's even more extreme, or our brothers and sisters in Muslim countries like Pakistan and Saudi Arabia uh, where they're oftentimes killed uh, or where girls can have acid thrown on them and other things to disfigure them. Uh, this kind of thing happens all the time for being a Christian. And you never hear a peep about it in the news. Instead, we hear about the U.S. women's national team as the courageous ones, the ones that we are to emulate. And again, that is a judgment on our culture. But again, what we should be doing is pressing on ourselves. The fact that God has given us a, a place where we can hear God's word, uh, where we can meet together, um, we should take advantage of. We will be judged more so if we don't. You know, Derek Thomas talked about this. You might know Derek Thomas. He's retiring very soon, I think in the next month or so, if he didn't already retire. He may have retired already. I'm not sure. You should know. But he doesn't know, it looks like. Anyway, the uh, Welsh uh, head pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Columbia, uh, he was talking about perseverance. And he talked about history and looking at First Pres in Columbia. And he said, you know, it's good that we're an old church. And again, these things that I say about the church in Columbia uh, can be said about First Presbyterian Church in Dillon as well, but even more so in Columbia, the church is older and everything else. But he was saying it's good that, that they've been around for a long time and they can look to God. And it is amazing when you have a big, big steeple church, even if it's in Little Dillon, but they're in Columbia, a big steeple church with thousands of members, uh, that's still faithful to the gospel. Uh, and it is a faithful church with really good pastors and a very good church. Again, praise God that our, our governor is a member there. Uh, but that is something to go and praise God about. But what Derek Thomas said is, you know, they have, if you've ever been there again, they have the cemetery there and everything. You walk to show all the history and everything there. But he said, it's not enough to look back and to say, look at what God has done. We should do that. We see that throughout the Bible and the Psalms and everything and looking at what God has done and praising him. But his question was, and talking about this, this abundance of growth, is, is the church currently growing? Is it what's happening with the church right now? Uh, you know, and that's my question for us individually, 
but then as a church here in Dillon as well. Um, next year, 2024, we'll celebrate, Lord willing, uh, the 125th anniversary of First Presbyterian Church in Dillon being a church. And again, it's, it's an, it is not normal. Um, it's a great praise to the Lord that 125 years after being founded, this particular church is seeking to be faithful to the Word of God. Uh, so we absolutely should I know we're scheduling to have a, a big celebration and, and time and, uh, together where we thank the Lord for his faithfulness to the church. But it's not enough just to set up monuments to what God has done and then just kind of rest on our laurels. It's a time to push forward, to press on. So uh, my encouragement to us uh, as Christians is uh, exactly that, to be thankful to the Lord for what he has done, uh, to give praise to him for his faithfulness and growing and being with his church, to remember our brothers and sisters in parts of the world who are uh, facing persecution, again, are pressing on. And then as we have this in God's providence, as we have this time to spend, to do things, uh, to seek to help out one another, to reach out to those in our increasingly hostile and pagan country of our own, uh, is that we give praise to God for his faithfulness, but we continue to press on uh, because God will be faithful to his church. He will continue the good work which he began. So let us be faithful in asking him to continue to do so and give us grace to face whatever uh, comes our way. So let's go uh, to him in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for writing these, having these words written down, for preserving your word for us. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you uh, kept these Thessalonians, people in situations like us, Lord, people in situations, people like us. Lord, we have brothers and sisters throughout the ages and in different parts of the world, and they go through the same struggles we go through. Lord, they're made fun of. Lord, they're wronged by other people. They're accused falsely. Lord, they have to uh, continue to press on despite circumstances Uh, Lord, they live in cultures, as the early church did, where claiming to be the, claiming to have the truth, to have the one and only God, and not a God amongst others, but the only way uh, to you, uh, the one means of salvation, the one Savior, Lord, where that was looked at as the one thing that was unacceptable. It's very much the same in our time. Lord, as you were faithful and kept them, would you also keep us Uh, Would you help us, Lord, to not just hang on, but seek to thrive? Uh, Would you cause growth, Lord? Uh, Would this church continue to be one that seeks to preach your word, Lord, which seeks to repent, uh, Lord, which seeks to admonish one another, as we'll see, uh, Lord, and that gives all thanks to you. We ask this all in confidence, Lord, for we ask in Christ's name, amen.